You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I really view what we're in now as the service industry because we are really trying to help when we're working with a buyer. We're trying to help them find what's right for them. And that's a process. It's very, it's a psychological, it's an emotional process. And one where the better you get to know your clients, the better that you can represent them. I still think it's a surprise to people when they when they come just how rich the culture is here and the arts and the music. Uh, that there's, I think, a, a widespread misperception, and I think it comes from the misperception about the weather. You know that Maine is dark subarctic tundra nine months a year. The weather is much better, I think, than people think it is. And when they get here, they're really surprised at, at how rich and deep the culture is year round, not just in the summertime. You know, I've always thought that life is in the details. You know, it's those uh, small moments, those small things, those that one tiny little perfect element that you carry with you and I think remember and it makes uh, something so much more special. So I'm excited to uh, have the opportunity to be working with clients and help them figure out what is that, what is that detail? What's the feeling that you're going to create in that environment to make it um, a special uh, wedding, special event, whatever, whatever it is for, for you and your guests. It's really remarkable how far we've come. I mean, the insulin pump was the size of my head at some point, and then now it's just so small and so seamless, and people are able to really take control. And I mean, we started out as a research organization. We're also focusing on prevention and management because we don't know when there's going to be that cure for type 2 and type 1. So, you know, we really need to take all facets into consideration. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine. Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 89, Home in Maine, airing for the first time on Sunday, May 26, 2013. On today's show, we speak with guests who have ideas about what it is to have home in Maine. Our guests include Chris Lynch, president of Legacy Properties, Sotheby's International Realty, and Mike LePage, owner-agent from Remax Heritage in Yarmouth. Also, Rick Toronto, a business owner and homeowner in Kennebunkport, and Lisa Medina, the event manager of Tour de Cure Kennebunks. I have called Maine home since 1977. My parents, both Maine natives, wanted their children to know their extended family. Having been born in Vermont during my father's final year of medical school, I spent my early years near the Navy bases in Virginia and Florida where my dad completed his family medicine training. When my parents suggested that we would be moving north, I was intrigued. A January baby, I had experienced snow on my birthday only once during a freak Jacksonville storm. I wanted to enjoy winter white, so I readily agreed to our family's journey back to the motherland. In retrospect, this may have been short-sighted. Snow I have since seen aplenty. Maine winters begin to seem pretty long by March. What I could not have known as a Florida first grader was that Maine would become my home indefinitely or that it would ultimately become a home of choice rather than destiny. Maine is a complicated, often cantankerous state. It is not for the faint of heart. 
In addition to endless winters, we have our share of poverty and social woes. But we who live here also have an accepting and indomitable spirit. We know what we have gotten ourselves into, and we accept equally the challenges and the rewards. We relish the intensity of the short Maine summers and the beauty inherent in the landscape year-round. We understand our good fortune. I came to Maine in 1977. I have traveled and lived elsewhere, but I choose to live in this great state. Maine is, and will always be, my home. We hope you enjoy our Home in Maine conversations with Chris Lynch, Mike LePage, Lisa Medina, and Rick Toronto. Today in the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour, we're exploring the importance of homes and why people choose to make a home here in Maine. I couldn't think of two better people to come in and talk about this notion than Christopher Lynch, who is the president of Legacy Properties Sotheby's International Realty, and Mike LePage, broker owner of Remax Heritage. So thank you for coming in and having this conversation with me. It's good to see you both. Good to see you. Thanks. And our listeners, longtime listeners, will know that uh, Mike LePage has been on previously, I believe it was a year ago in January, talking about your very personal story and um, struggles with cancer and overcoming um, SIDS deaths and all these very interesting things that make you this wonderful person that I've loved to have in my life for a long time, not only as my own personal real estate broker, but also my friend. So I hope people who are listening go back and listen to that show from January of 2012. That show ironically called Joy. It's called Joy, right. <laughs> but that's the idea, is that you actually, you, you've had these things happen, and you've managed to find joy in your life. And Chris has also managed to find joy in his life, because I had a conversation with Chris just yesterday talking about choices he's made um, to go from Wall Street, you know, many hours, not that much time being able to be spent with your family and your kids, and just one day saying, you know what, I got to change my priorities. You know, I've done what I need to do over here, and I'm going to I'm gonna move to Maine, and I'm going to do things differently. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to have you here as um, people in the real estate field, but it's more interesting to have you here as people. Is it unusual for two people who are owners of their own agencies to sit together in a room and have a conversation like this? Not at all. And Mike and I spend time together in, in a number of different venues in real estate and, frankly, outside of real estate. I mean, one of the things that people forget is that you know, real estate transactions typically have two people coming together to either buy or sell a home. And usually there's a broker on either side of that. And the better that we know each other, the more we cooperate, the better it goes for both of our clients. And that's really been true with Chris and my experience. Real estate strikes me as um, a very unique sales situation because you aren't just selling a product or and, and you're not just selling um, something that is impermanent. You're selling some a very real part of a person's upcoming life. You're selling them possibly a piece of their dream. Does that present challenges at times? You know, I don't, I don't even think of it as sales. You know, I had been in sales in my life before and I really view what we're in now as the service industry because we are really trying to help when we're working with a buyer, we're trying to help them find what's right for them. And that's a process, it's very, it's a psychological, it's an emotional process, and one where, you know, the better you get to know your clients, the better that you can represent them. And we find that the, the emotional attachment that so many sellers have to their homes, it's where they raise their kids, it's where they had their 
the daughter's wedding. It's where they had their son's graduation parties. It's, it's where they, their whole life is wrapped up in all those memories in every corner of the house. And, and they attach a tremendous amount of value to that, including financial value, where the buyer coming in doesn't have that. They're looking to clear that space and make their own memories going forward. So it is it, early on, it's very, very difficult. And true for the seller, too, that, that emotional value of leaving a house is very real. Once over the financial aspect of it, if they've lived there for 20, 30 years, their kids have grown up there, the little marks are on the wall where you know they grew another inch. Uh, those things are very emotional for people, and it's a tough process to go through for them, but at the end of the day, I think it's part of our role to make it as smooth and seamless as it can be. And I can attest to this because, as I said, I've done a lot of buying and selling of houses with with you, Mike, and I know that you and I spend a lot of time, I guess, driving around in cars and looking at various places, and, and it is. I, I think you're making an enormous decision about something that isn't always completely rational. It's a hard It's a hard thing to try to bring both your brain and your heart together to make a decision that could have a really significant impact, not only emotionally, but financially. And the bigger challenge sometimes is there's two brains and two hearts involved in the decision. So well, yes, <laughs> helping them find that match, too, is uh, part of that creativity, I think. And the moving process brings out a lot of that emotion. And the, you know, they're in the attic cleaning out boxes that they haven't opened in 25 years. One of my agents was just with a couple and they pulled out a box that had their, their daughter is 40 years old, 41 years old, pulled out a mask that she wore in her third grade play. And they were arguing over whether to keep the mask or not. And, and it brought back all those memories of, of the times in the house. And so it really is, it's that, you know, getting the two people on the same page to begin with. And and helping them understand that where they're going is probably going to be simpler, uh, likely cheaper, uh, and, and there's a sustainability element you know, for their lives to moving on, but it's very hard to cut the cord. Do you have to help people with the idea of letting go? Yeah, that's a big part of it. I, listening to Chris talk about that experience reminds me, I was with my sister. Uh, I grew up in Bath, and I was with my sister this weekend visiting my parents. And we drove by the first house we ever lived in, and it's a tiny little ranch in Bath, Maine. And it just struck me how everybody needs four bedrooms, two and a half baths. And we grew up very happily for the first eight years of my life before we moved to only a slightly bigger house in this tiny little three-bedroom house in a little neighborhood in Bath. And it's like, that was really grabbed me as a perspective that I hadn't had in a while. Now, Mike, as you said, you grew up in Maine, you grew up in Bath. I know you went away and you came back. Chris, you grew up in Andover, Mass, Andover, Mass. and you spent time on Wall Street and made this big decision to change. There was something about Maine for the two of you that caused you to come back here. What was it? For me, uh, it was really the, you know, it just seemed like a perfect place to raise kids. Um, I had working on Wall Street, I was there for 17 years, typically left the house at 5, 5.15 in the morning, got home between 9 and 10 at night on a good day, traveled quite a lot, both domestically and internationally. And we had three kids at home and, and my wife, who I very rarely saw. Uh, most of the weekends were either working or recovering from the work week. Uh, and a month after my 38th birthday, came home and said, let's go do something different. You know, let's, let's take the kids, let's go someplace where they can grow up a little more slowly, uh, where they can really, where we can enjoy ourselves, enjoy our kids, enjoy our family. 
and the greater Portland area was, was one of the few spots as you go up and down the eastern seaboard that has, we were also looking for more of a vacation element as well, an outdoor lifestyle element, an oceanfront element, that, that to have the school systems in the greater Portland area with the access to the ocean was really relatively unique. And the greater Portland area, frankly, was uh, substantially less expensive from an entry price point in places like Marblehead, Massachusetts, which would have been high on that list, or Annapolis, Maryland, which would have been high on that list. It was also much less crowded, uh, and we just felt it was going to create opportunities. Our kids at the time were going to fourth grade, second grade kindergarten, and we just had a one-year-old. So it was a really neat time for us as a family to do something very different. How did Maine hit your radar in the first place? I was a Bates grad, uh, and so I came from Massachusetts to Bates, Bates to New York. Uh, I knew Maine, I knew the greater Portland area, loved my time at Bates, and it just, the, the lifestyle here, the, the, the fact that there's very little crime, very little traffic, easy access, uh, was just, it, it had always been on my radar screen as a possible, you know, resting stop. I think that's pretty common for a lot of people. I mean, Lisa and I were talking earlier about, you know, what first attracts people to Maine. Why do people you know, return here after they've done some things in life. And I think in Maine in particular, there are a lot of touch points like Bates, uh, Bowdoin, Colby, um, historically the uh, Naval Air Station in Brunswick is one of those places where people maybe only spent a year here, maybe two years, but something grabbed them. I mean, to me, in that Brunswick area, it's that drive out to Bailey's Island. I think in my mind, that's what people think of when they think, what is Maine like? And it is like that, but it is, it's of course so many other things too. Summer camps. I had lunch yesterday with someone who was a camp counselor at one of the main camps back in the late 60s, early 70s, and he left the state. He wasn't living in the state at the time, just here for the summer, and met his wife, uh, then fiance, and the verbal prenup was that at some point they would have to live in Maine. Is that connection through being a, a summer camper and a summer camp counselor, and we hear that a lot, that connection with just some of the fantastic times in their lives, largely, largely due to the outdoors, you know, just the fantastically beautiful uh, lakes, ocean, mountains, hiking, woods, you know, it's just really special. I worked for seven summers at one of those summer camps, and none of the campers were from Maine, and it's a camp that still exists. It's a, celebrated its 95th anniversary last year, and I went, and it was this great celebration. Uh, but a number of those campers who are now in their 50s, like I am, um, have a summer home in Maine uh, on a lake, you know, just taking advantage of exactly mm -hmm. what you were talking about. And there are so many camps in Maine. It's just a a real draw and that's their first experience and they keep coming back. One of the reasons that we wanted to have you in today is because um, the Kenny Bungport Festival is coming up very soon. I know that Legacy is a big sponsor of the Kenny Bungport Festival and Mike as as um, someone from Remax and Remax is a sponsor of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is very much affiliated with the Kenny Bungport Festival. All coming together. See how I made all those connections work. Um, <laughs> We wanted to talk about specifically why people, um, why that part of the world, why that part of the state, why Kenny Bunk has been had such a draw. I mean, you have Walker Point, you have the Bushes who live there, still live there. Um, this just seems to have become this um, great spot of activity and energy. I mean, Chris really touched on it when he was talking about his his story of moving to Maine, and part of it is, I think a lot of people, if they had the opportunity, would love to live in a home that looks at the ocean. And, you know, Maine has more waterfront 
than California and Florida combined. Florida combined, right? Combined. I was quoting you from last week. I think thirty-five hundred miles. Yeah, over three thousand miles of, of, of uh, waterfront. That makes it affordable, and it's also as far as north as you can go in the United States. Uh, and our population is low, so there's real opportunity for people to live, you know, for half price compared, mm -hmm. even even less than that uh, compared to what it would be in you know Massachusetts, even uh, New Hampshire, even. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's the first point, but I think it's more than that. And I don't know what brought the bushes to Kennebunkport originally. Maybe it was uh, it was before my time. Maybe it was always a great destination. Uh, but clearly, it's become very, very, very popular. And it's probably the what we see in our business is probably the biggest feeder market for pro potential buyers. Not everybody buys in that market, but they come, they enjoy it, and, and maybe they're looking for something a little different, something a little more remote, a little more private, more peaceful, less expensive. It also happens to be one of the more expensive market places in the state, but it really is a, a fantastic draw for people from all over the world to come and dine and play and on whale watches and harbor cruises and, and see the Bush estate and, and meet all kinds of interesting people, not just in the summer anymore, but year-round now. And it's also true, you know, those people that spend some time in Kennebunkport, um, it, it doesn't take them very long before they go to a place and then they're known already. It's such an intimate place that you know, relationships are built quickly and, you know, there's a familiarity that happens much faster in a place like Kennebunkport. You know, that dock square area is just so small. You walk around twice, you start to see people that look familiar because you just <laughs> saw them yesterday. Right. Mabel's right. and, you know, Allison's Restaurant and all sure. of those places are just really great spots. We'll return to our program in a moment. On the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long understood the important link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the subject is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Maine is my home. My home is in Maine. But what does it take to feel at home in Maine? Do you know what to do, where to go, and who to go there with? When you do and it feels natural, then you'll know that you've made a home in Maine. But first, Maine wants you to discover what she has to offer and then make a place to create. There's more drama in this pattern of life here in Maine than some other places. That is what makes Maine a harder place to live and work, but in the end, a place that is far more rewarding. There is no auto road to the top of our tallest mountain, just a knife edge. And it surely can be said of this place, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. That is why I chose to make Maine my home. Not because I'm an idiot, but because I find more value in feeling the journey. If you need help designing your home in Maine, send us an email to tom at shepherdfinancialmaine.com. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. 
The Maine Association of Realtors has a campaign ongoing called Pinch Me. It's got a lobster on the on the advertisement for it. And pinch me because second home in Maine is affordable. And you know, mortgage interest deduction is one of those things that threatens the real estate business and you know, sort of the privilege of home ownership. And uh, you know, we're working hard to maintain that through our contacts in Washington D.C. and locally. Um, but uh, that whole piece of um, having a having a part of Maine in your portfolio, uh, as inexpensive as it is, becomes really important to people. I, and I travel the country and and. Uh, making presentations on Maine and what Maine has to, to real estate agents in, in different markets. And I've been to New York and Boston and Washington, D.C., Montreal, down to Florida, across to California. And I meet with agents, and, and I usually start the presentation by saying, I'm going to guess. And in Montreal, I was saying, I'm going to guess that everybody has a connection to Maine and Montreal. And there were about 50 or 60 agents in the room, and they could all see, they were all nodding their heads, yes, yes, yes. And I hosted a, 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 a gathering afterward, and there was one woman who came up to me and said, I don't have a connection. I said, I'm sure you do. You do now. <laughs> you do now. Uh, and it turns out, as we talked through for about five minutes, her brother and sister-in-law summered in a gunquit for five years, going back about ten years ago. She had sort of forgotten. But from time to time, they still talk about coming back, renting, and possibly even buying a place uh, in a gunquit. And so I said, wait, see? Is, and the connection to Maine is really um, it's very deep, and it's broad. And in all these cities and the feeder markets to Maine that everybody knows someone here, they've all been here to visit and they've all left with this feeling of what a special place. And this notion of second homes, um, I think many people think that someone from out of state is coming and buying you know, a, a fairly expensive second home. But a, high, a very high percentage of the second homes in Maine are in the middle of the woods for taking advantage of that asset or on a lake, on a river. On a pond. On a pond. Uh, just, it's sort of a, a getaway. Um, you know, what do they call it? A staycation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stay in Maine for your vacation because a lot of people haven't really explored all that Maine is. You know, depending on where you are, uh, you know, there's just some spots in Maine, like Katahdin. I don't know what percentage of Maine have ever taken the trip out to Mount Katahdin, but one of those really special places that needs to be seen before you go to Boston. Even. Mm-hmm. My wife hiked it last year, and I canoed around it the year before, but I haven't gone to the top. Well, let's do that. I know. We should do that. Okay. Before we get too old. <laughs> All right. I, I feel like the inmates are ruling the asylum <laughs> a little bit here, but um, I think that you've provided this really broad um, idea of why it is that people come to Maine, why it is that people stay in Maine. Now, both of you have children who are on the older side. Um, I guess, Mike, your kids are all... You have your final ones in college now? Two seniors. Two seniors. I, and Chris, you have a few more years. You have an 11-year-old. I have an 11-year-old. He's in fifth grade. Do yeah. you think that you will stay in Maine once that you've, I mean, you're in these great school systems, you know, all of those things we just talked about. Will you stay in Maine once you're done raising your kids? I don't know. I, I'll always have a place in Maine. I don't, I don't ever anticipate leaving Maine permanently. But uh, with four kids, if, you know, if they're... Uh, in a central place. I have two kids in Denver right now, so, you know, where's the ocean there? But um, I could see moving somewhere else, but always having a, an anchor here. But that's so far in the future. I, that's at least 10 years away. Same with us, and, you know, and, but, but to answer your earlier question a different way is so much of what drives that second home purchase is where their kids and grandkids are. And, and that attraction is we do see a number of buyers who are buying homes today in, in hopes and expectations that their kids will come 
for the summer. Or if they're too busy working all summer, they'll send their grandkids for the summer. And they'll get to enjoy Maine in a different way with their grandparents who now own a place on a lake in the woods uh, on the ocean in Maine. I mean, really, we need to turn this around to you. You're one of 10 children who grew up in Yarmouth, Maine. Your parents are still there. What's the story with your siblings? What percentage of them are around and your nieces and nephews and such? What do you think? Well, you know, Mike, that's an interesting question, and that we've had most of my siblings have gone away, and many of them have come back, and I think the big draw is that my parents are still here. My parents made a conscious decision to stay here, and they actually bought a big enough house so that all the grandkids can come stay. So I do think there's something very special about Maine, and it keeps families here, and it keeps them coming back. and, and That was part of our experiences. You know, when first married, my wife Megan and I moved to Seattle, where she worked as a lawyer. And we loved it. It was just a great city. And the, the irony of it all was we kind of came back here um, the, the, the fourth summer that we were in, uh, in Seattle and just for a vacation. And as we were on the plane heading back, we were kind of like, wow, what a tiny little place Maine is. Kind of, uh. And uh, that was in August. In October, we sat around the dinner table and said with our two-year-old, uh, will we ever move back to Maine? And the answer to that was yes. And on December 27th, we got in a car and drove back to Maine. And my wife started working in a law firm with 21 other first-year associates. And one of those is still in Seattle today. And we just felt really lucky that when we moved back to what we considered home, it was Maine. For some of them, it was other places that I find less appealing. I really appreciate the support that both of you have offered um, Maine Magazine, Maine Home Design, have offered the County Bungport Festival upcoming, and have offered the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour, and actually the support that Mike has personally offered me and my houses, and, and the support I know, Chris, that you've offered Kevin Thomas, the publisher of Maine Magazine. I mean, it's what you do is really important, people who are listening. It's really, really important, and it's so much more than, as we've said, about sales. It really is helping sort of build the community. So... You're doing really good work, and I'm glad you took the time to come in and talk to me today. Well, thank you for inviting us. It was fun. We've been talking with Chris Lynch, who is the president of Legacy Properties, Sotheby's International Realty, and Mike LePage, broker-owner of REMAX Heritage. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter-inspired landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. This morning, as I was walking my dog, as I do every morning, bright and early, the birds are out, the sun's just coming up, my landscape is coming alive where I can see it again, and I was very interested to see the, the goose flying east. It was actually two geese and they were flying east, and I went into my meditation room to check what that really meant. And Mother Goose is all about childhood fairy tales, the story of our childhood, or the stories in our childhood, communication through the use of stories. Something fun about a natural storyteller is a real gift in life. You might know storytellers. They really bring a a depth and resonance to our lives that is really quite remarkable. The uh, geese, their incessant honking seems to call to us to follow them on a great spiritual quest. Their return is the harbinger of spring. 
and the harbinger of new beginnings. So when we see geese showing up in the springtime, it reminds us that yes, spring is here because they, they are not around in the wintertime. The V formation is symbolic as its shape reflects an openness to new ideas, much like an arrowhead pointing in a new direction. So these are things to pay attention to in nature and they bring more meaning to our lives. So when you're in your landscape, be aware, be present, know what's out there, and understand what they're trying to teach you and tell you. I am Ted Carter, and if you'd like, you can contact me at ted at tedcarterlandscapes.com. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. At Orthopedic Specialists, ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree. With state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment, small areas of tendinitis, muscle and ligament tears, instability and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination. For more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. And by Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical. Premier Sports Health invites you to their grand opening June 1st at 275 Marginal Way, Portland, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Enjoy light refreshments and stay for talks and demonstrations that will help you live a healthier, more active life. I knew our next guest before he knew me. I actually stayed in his house before he even realized who I was, um, and I was very fortunate to do so because our guest, Rick Toronto, lives in arguably one of the more beautiful houses and one of the more unique houses um, in Kennebunk. It's Kennebunk, right? Not Kennebunk yes. Port. Yes. I always get those confused, but you live in a beautifully designed house right near the beach. The, the doors open out to the ocean, and this um, it's such a special place. And we thought we'd have you come in and talk to us today because clearly you were drawn to this very special place. You mm -hmm. were drawn to Kennebunk, and you've been a big supporter of the Kennebunk Port Festival for the past few years. So we said, you know what, if anybody can tell us what it is about Maine that's magical, Rick Toronto can do that. Well, so, thank you. So thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Rick, you're not a Maine boy. You're from mm -hmm. elsewhere. You're from away. Mm -hmm. Tell me about where you've come from. Sure. Well, I uh, grew up in Burlington, Mass., and have been living in uh, Boston for the last um, eight or nine years. And then uh, three years ago, came up to visit some friends, uh, wasn't looking for a home. Um, they were convinced that it was something that um, I needed to have. So we um, went for a quick viewing and immediately fell in love with the spot. As you mentioned, it is um, extremely unique. I love the um, architectural interest of it. It's looks like a beach house from the outside, but inside it feels like um, a much more modern um, open space. So we uh, bought in May of uh, 2010 and have just, um, just grown to enjoy more and more our time that we spend up here in Kennebunk, Kennebunk Port. What was it about Maine that initially brought you to the state before you even saw this beautiful house that you now live in? Why did you come to Maine? I visited um, Maine often as a child, visiting uh, friends in uh, York Beach, um, but really haven't been um, back in, in quite some time. So it was after some friends uh, relocated to uh, Candy Bunk Port that we started to come up um, a little bit more often and just really started to feel like this was um, a place where we'd be very um, comfortable and really just want to live. I believe you used to have a place in Fort Lauderdale. 
So you've had the chance to live this exciting life, this glamorous life. You've been near, you know, you've lived near Boston. You could have chosen any of these more urban locales to kind of sort of lay your head for the rest of your life, but Mm -hmm. that's not what you did. Why is your moving into, I know you're going into an important birthday. Mm -hmm. Why is your going into this important birthday? Why was it important that you be in Maine? I think Maine picked us. I don't necessarily think that we we picked it. We um, had uh, been in Fort Lauderdale for a few years, and um, it was a nice getaway, but it was um, it was more of an escape. It wasn't um, a place that um, we felt like we'd really grow any roots. And after spending um, just a little bit of time here, this really um, seemed like the place where um, we'd be able to um, establish roots, make um, and really just start to to build a new life uh, for ourselves. And honestly, after we um, saw the house and moved in, it it was uh, it very quickly became comfortable. And Maine was the place that we wanted to be spending more time. Uh, than Boston. Boston is where work happens, and I think Maine is where our life really happens. You have a daughter, Olivia, mm-hmm. and I believe you told me she's turning 11. She will be, yeah. How does she feel about Maine? She loves it. She keeps asking, uh, Daddy, why don't we live here all the time as well? We have some uh, life back in Massachusetts, but eventually this will be full-time home. In addition to making Maine, um, transitioning into Maine being your more full-time home, you've also had some transitions in your work life. Sure. Some, um, I think some uh, very exciting changes personally. Um, for the last 15 years, I've been working in uh, clinical research um, in Boston in a number of um, different roles in sales and marketing and um, executive management. And it was certainly a great uh, learning opportunity, not only professionally but personally. And um, looking towards my 40th birthday and trying to figure out, is this what I'll be doing for the next 10 years or is it time to shake things up? Um, decided that it was time to start something completely new. So I just um, established a new company in Kennebunkport in December, Details Event Staging. Uh, so focusing more on uh, weddings and events and providing unique furniture, tabletop, and accessories. So it's, um, it's, it's a very exciting uh, transition time. One of the things that I noticed when I stayed in the house, because you um, you were gracious enough to rent it out to Kevin Thomas, who initially was the person who built this house, um, you rented it back to him for the first year that I was there at the Kenny Bunkport Festival. Um, it's not your classic main cottage, you know, with the whitewashed walls and the, you know, to the beach sign. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got a very distinctive feel to it. It does. Can you describe that feeling? I, th- I think... The um, sense that we get when we're in the space is uh, certainly it's a much more um, open, um, grounded. It's not light and airy. Uh, I think it's a bit more um, masculine in the design. Um, What we are hoping to um, do soon is um, redecorate and take it to, I think think the house really speaks to a mid-century modern uh, type feel. So really trying to bring that out in the house um, a little bit more. So hopefully we'll be making some updates uh, this season. And this is really working with a different part of your brain. You said you've done clinical research for 15 years. So when you're 20s, you started doing this job, which you've been doing for a long time. Now you're going to this other thing, this events, um, details, events, staging, and you're trying to bring beauty into people's special occasions. Mm-hmm. But that's so interesting that you've gone from one to the other, and you're using these different parts of your brain. Mm-hmm. Trying to... Uh tap into um, more of what I find myself gravitating towards in my downtime. Um, you know, we certainly love to entertain. Um, designing events uh, has always been something that I've, I've gravitated towards. Um, we were 
were married um, in October of 2011, and that really started to bring out, I think, a lot of the um, interest and excitement um, in that, um, in using that part of my uh, brain, and, and now just really trying to focus on it and um, make that my business. And I think anybody who goes back and looks at the, the wedding issue from Maine Magazine, the, the most recent wedding issue, will see you in there, um, you and your partner, your husband now. The fact that you would want to get married in Maine, even, is also very telling of your love of place, mm-hmm. that you would bring the love of your life up here, that you would bring your daughter up here, that you would bring yourself up here, that you would bring your entire life up here. Mm-hmm. But there's so much of a draw to other places. And I still, it's the magic and the mystery that I just wonder about. Can you speak to that at all? Sure. Well, when we were initially planning and trying to figure out where uh, would be the right spot for our wedding, Massachusetts uh, certainly seemed like the obvious choice since at that time it uh, was not yet, um, same-sex marriage was not yet legal here in Maine. Um, But after um, thinking about it and, and, you know, really fitting into that, um, Boston's where we work, Maine's where we live, this is really, this was the the logical place to celebrate such an exciting milestone in our life together. Um, So we um, initially had um, some apprehension, you know, wondering as I started calling vendors, would um, people be uh, receptive, welcoming, want to work with us, and after just a few phone calls, uh, realized that um, so many people here in Maine just are um, uh, open-minded, um, welcoming, um, and really just um, wanted to work with us and did such an amazing job helping us um, execute uh, what I think was a, was a really great weekend. That's something that not every couple has to deal with. Not every couple has to think about the fact that maybe people won't be accepting of their mm-hmm. marriage. You know, I, that actually took me aback for a minute because I'm thinking, gosh, you know, this is, this is, usually people just think, you know, routinely weddings. Well, mm-hmm. it's a wedding. It's so wonderful. It's so nice. Everybody's going to, you know, be accepting of this. But you actually had to get to a place where you said, okay, so we're a little different mm-hmm. than many people who are trying to get married. Yeah. John was um, very encouraging of, of pushing me to, um, you know, start planning everything up here. Um, and I'm so grateful that we did. Uh, and now certainly um, excited that um, other loving couples, all loving couples uh, here in Maine now have the opportunity to get married. So I'm um, excited to be working with a few um, uh, same-sex couples and helping them play the, plan uh, their future weddings. And is that part of this, the um, deciding to do details, events, staging, is that you really want to bring the same joy to other people's lives that you've felt in your own life? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's um, you know, I've always thought that life is in the details. You know, it's those uh, small moments, those small things, those that one tiny little perfect um, element that you uh, carry with you and I think remember and it makes uh, something so much more special. So I'm excited to uh, have the opportunity to be working with clients and help them figure out what is that, what is that detail, how does that, um, what's the feeling that you're going to create in that environment to make it um, a special uh, wedding, special event, whatever, whatever it is for, for you and your guests. And what about the Kenny Mugport Festival? That's coming right up. It is. And you're hosting another dinner this year. Yes, absolutely. We um, had such a great time. Uh, Last year was the first year that we um, participated in the festival. Uh, We were fortunate to have uh, Rob Evans, who's going to be uh, coming back um, as our chef um, this year. And um, it's such a great week to be in Kenny Book. It's great to reconnect with uh, people that are just starting to come back for the summer season, uh, meeting new friends that are in town that you haven't had a chance to uh, meet out and about before, and just all the people that come in from out of town and travel to Kennebunkport as a destination. Um, I think it's such a great experience to be able to share 
uh, Kennebunkport with, with those people. And this is one of the private dinners, so people will come to your house, and Rob Evans, who used to be the um, head chef and owner at Hugo's and now is at Duck Fat, he'll be actually in your house preparing Absolutely. food in your beautiful kitchen where yep. I've, I've, I've been, and it's really quite wonderful. I've actually eaten dinner and a private dinner at your house, and this is what people get to experience as part of the Kenny Monkport Festival. Absolutely. It's such a great, um, it's a great opportunity to have um, a really intimate um, setting with such a great chef. I mean, last year everything was just... Um, flawless, not only the quality of the food, but the execution. And um, it was enjoyable to see um, Rob get very involved in it, too. I mean, he was excited to be sharing with all the guests what was the inspiration for the meal. Um, so the whole the whole environment, I think, is um, it's 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 very special. And it's also great to have, be able to um, open your home up to people and in support of a great cause for Share Our Strength. What else will you be doing during the Kenny Monkfort Festival? We're definitely attending um, a few other private dinners at friends' homes and then uh, Pop the Candy Bunks. Well, I will see you there, and I appreciate your coming in and talking to us about um, your love of Maine and your your second home, which is probably rapidly becoming your only home Absolutely. at some point mm-hmm. in the future. Um, how can people find out about your new venture, about details? Sure. I have a website, Details Event Staging, also a Facebook page, and I'm on Twitter and I look forward to posting uh, more and more photos of events that we are involved in through the summer. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today. We've been talking with Rick Toronto, who is the founder of Details Event Staging and also a longtime supporter um, of the Kenny Bunkport Festival. So thank you for being part of that as well. Thank you. We on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast hope that our listeners enjoy their own work lives to the same extent we do, and fully embrace every day. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. So did you ever wonder why geese fly in a V formation when they head south for the winter? Amazingly, they know that a V pattern increases their speeds by more than 70% versus flying in another pattern or alone. When in formation, they share the leadership and have a mutual respect for their common goal, which is to arrive safely at their destination. They equally divide the hardest tasks, gather their faculties, and combine their resources and talents. This unified effort, their formation, makes the journey easier. Less energy is expended because they are all working together for a common cause. When the leader tires, he goes back to the end of the formation and another team member takes the lead. Each goose or a member of the team uses their voice or quack to encourage the leader to stay focused and to keep organized. So how does the V formation of migrating geese apply to running your business or your household? In a word, team a group working together to accomplish and achieve the same goal with mutual respect and understanding. Those teams will always come out ahead. Unlike the lowly seagull who scavenges and shouts mine, only looking out for its own best interest without ever seeming to get anywhere, geese are unified and always looking out for each other, applying the law of least effort and gaining the most. It's a lesson we all could learn. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. 
Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Seabags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind nautical-inspired pieces. Please visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. We are fortunate here in Maine to have many people who love to ride their bikes. And this time of year is a perfect time of year to be riding bikes, and especially a perfect time of year to be participating in events such as the Kenny Bunks Tour de Cure, which is coming up right here in June. And with us today, we have Lisa Medina, who is the event manager for the Kenny Bunks Tour de Cure. And you've You've not ridden your bike up, but you've driven your car up from Boston this morning right. to be with us. So thank you so much for doing that. I'm happy to be here. Tell us about the Tour de Cure. So um, the Tour de Cure, we have, um, it's one of the largest cycling events, um, raising money for the American Diabetes Association, um, which sort of has like a three-pronged approach where we have our money go, which is diabetes research, information, and advocacy. And um, right in um, New England, a large chunk of that research money comes because of you know Boston being the epicenter for the medical community. So we love to see that all the money really does from nationwide comes back into New England. Um, so the cycling event, we have five different events in New England. I um, run the Kennebunks Tour de Cure out of Wells, Maine, but we also have a ride in Rhode Island, the Ocean State Tour de Cure in Connecticut, the Connecticut Tour de Cure in Massachusetts, the North Shore Tour de Cure, and our multi-state ride, which is a um, 150, 550 plus, which is a multi-state ride coming out of Woburn and either looping back um, up to Biddeford for the 150 and then looping all through Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, and back to Woburn in Massachusetts. So all different kinds of rides, so there's really something for everyone. Uh, the Kennebunks Tour de Cure specifically, we have five different routes, so if you're not an avid cyclist, we have something for everyone. We have a 5K, which is our three-mile family fun ride. We have a 25K, a 50K, 100K, and a 100-mile century ride. So we have anything from serious cyclists to someone who just wants to get on the bike and you know really support the cause. Why did somebody decide that biking would be a good event to participate in when it came to diabetes? Well, the thing with diabetes is really be having an active lifestyle really helps you take control of the disease rather than it controlling you. We have a very sort of unique program similar to some of the breast cancer um, events. We have a Red Rider program. Our Red Rider program is our any participant living with type 1, type 2, or gestational diabetes. Um, and they get a free recognition recognition um, sort of gift, Dave event, and it's a jersey that says Red Rider and I ride with diabetes. These are the people that are really letting, you know, taking exercise and really taking control of their diabetes because some people even with type 2 don't even need to take medication because they're sort of revamping their lifestyle through either meal planning and exercise. Um, but diabetes is, is sort of progressive of a disease, so later on while they may, may be able to sort of you know, prolong without medication. Sometimes later on they may have to, but 
exercising really kind of delays that process. So um, I think with the bike ride, um, we used to have some walk events in the area, but we sort of consolidated our events and we have a walk event. So for those people that aren't cyclists in Boston, so some people really do come from Maine. Um, Walgreens is one of our supporters nationally and they come down to the Boston walk. Um, but I think the thing with cycling is that, you know, we get out there together, we have some fun, um, we have rest stops all along, it's, um, along the coastline of Maine, which is really beautiful. Um, so it's a, it's a nice sort of something to look forward to. It's not just your everyday walk around a loop, but, you know, it's really about the experience. What I like about the Tour de Cure Kenny Bunks is that, or the Kenny Bunks, excuse me, Tour de Cure, is that it's affiliated with the Kenny Bunk Port Festival, which is all about going out and living your life, eating good food and um, doing and going dancing with the pop, the Kenny Bunks, and, and really um, embracing this very active lifestyle on the one hand. But then it's also paired with a bike riding event where you can go out and you can do what you need to do after you've eaten all that good food and, exactly. and really enjoyed your life. This is the first year, I think, that you've had that association. Exactly. Yeah, this is the first year we've been um, associated with Maine Magazine. It's really great because, you know, um, so far we've had a few teams come from our partnership. And, I mean, it's really great because people that embrace the Kennebunkport Port Festival embrace, you know, the beautiful coastline of Maine. They embrace, embrace the outdoor lifestyle. It's just a really nice pairing. It's also interesting because the Kenny Bunkport Festival, um, a large portion of the proceeds goes to benefit Share Our Strength, which of course is a hunger relief organization. And so you have Share Our Strength over here with hunger relief, and then you have Tour de Cure, which is diabetes education, advocacy, and, and, research. and research. And it's just an interesting, it's all about kind of you, you eat good food, you help other people who don't have as much to eat, and then you're also helping other people who are trying to live healthy, active lifestyles. Exactly. What have you noticed about um, the need for diabetes research and um, advocacy over the last 10, 15 years or so? Well, the thing is that the incidence of diabetes has really started to increase in the past couple of years, whether it be through, you know, obesity epidemic or through, you know, any family history or, you know, our population is really aging right now. So it's really increasing, especially with type 2 diabetes. About 26.8 million people have diabetes, and about 90 to 95% of those people have type 2. And with the incidence sort of increasing, um, our government funding is decreasing. So we're just trying to fill in that void where there's a, a lack of funding in diabetes research and trying to sort of, you know, support type 1, type 2, and gestational. And I think we're a really unique organization because we support all of those facets of diabetes. While they are very different, um, they deal you still deal with sort of the some same kind of pains associated with, with that, whether it be like pricking your finger, you know, 10 to 15 times a day or checking your blood sugars. And, you know, it's not something you can really take a break from. And it's, it's really starting to increase. And I feel like it's something we should be really aware about. And a lot of people, because it's sort of a silent disease, we don't really think it's something serious. You know, they're not you can't visibly see the consequences of diabetes. And when people aren't taking care of it, you know, some of the complications can be nerve damage, heart disease, kidney failure, all of those things. And, you know, a lot of times you hear people passing away and all of that things, and people don't realize that it's complications from their diabetes. My grandfather passed away and he had diabetes, but it was through kidney failure. So that's what we attribute that to. And the more and more that I've been involved with this organization, the more and more I see how many people have been touched with this disease. You know, I think just about everyone knows at least one to two people 
that have been affected by type 1, type 2, or gestational. Now you have um, degrees from the University of Delaware and you have a master's degree from Emerson in communication management, but you chose to go into nonprofit, yes, nonprofit, and you specifically chose to go into something um, that was health related and had a sort of a family uh, connection for you. Exactly. Was that on purpose? I, I would say it is on purpose. I did when I started working here. I actually started interning here. I was. Um, I've, I focused my degree on public relations, but I ended up really focusing on sort of the health communication side. And I think I, I picked the American Diabetes Association because not only my grandfather was affected, but my mother is living with type 2. And it's something very personal to me. I have the family history, so it's something that I could be at risk for. And, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking because it's something that it's a drastic change from having not to manage something on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, to really kind of shifting, really having to take care of yourself because there are some serious complications if you don't. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't an accident. It was definitely, I think, it was the right move to do. Um, and it's, an, I mean, even though I've been affected personally, I meet so many people that have been affected just by the ride. And um, we even have um, a cyclist um, who works at Key Bank. He really used the tour to sort of really embraced the active lifestyle. When he had started, he was around 245 pounds. He could barely get through the 25K. Right now, he's lost 150 pounds, and he uses the tour to soar as a training goal year-round. I mean, he's this is his third year doing it, and now he's all the way down to the 100-mile. So it's really something you could really look forward to, and you use it to embrace you know, meal planning, just being healthy, because it can really take over you if you don't sort of embrace and take control of it. Well, I want to give you a lot of credit because clearly you are young. I mean, you're accomplished. You have, uh, you know, a master's degree, and um, but you're young enough so that you could just say, "Oh, this will never happen to me." You know, I don't have to worry about this. But instead, you are doing what you've just said. You're you're being very mindful. You're, you're saying, "My family has this." You know, I don't know what my future looks like, but I'm certainly not going to just sort of roll over and not do anything about it. Right, and. And, you know, I'm very hopeful because a lot of the research going on right now makes me hopeful that there could be a cure in the near future. Um, right now, um, a former coworker of mine did the bionic pancreas study where essentially she was a week free without type 1 diabetes, which was, you know, something that I had never thought that would happen this soon. And they might even potentially have it um, by 2017 out commercially, which is something that's really remarkable how far we've come. I mean, the insulin pump was you know, like the size of my head at some point, and then now it's just so small and so seamless, and people are able to really take control. And I think that's a lot because we've been, I mean, we started out as a research organization, and we've really kind of taken it, you know, we're also focusing on prevention and management because we don't know when there's going to be that cure for type 2 and type 1. So, you know, we really need to take all facets into consideration. It is an interesting challenge because, you know, diabetes is something that people live with. It is something that has what they call end organ damage. So you can mm -hmm. have a nerve problem. You end up can getting, you can end up getting um, amputations of your feet because of nerve damage, kidney failure, all these things that you've talked about. And yet, it's not like cancer where people mm -hmm. get it and they could potentially die. And it seems so much more right. dire. So that I must think because be... people if people control it. People just figure it's not that bad. If you don't see it and you don't see the consequences, unless it gets really serious where someone loses a foot or loses a leg or, you know, ends up in the hospital, you just think they're fine. I mean, you just think it's just, you know, they're pricking their finger, they're working through it. I, I just don't think people can visually see that it could be very serious. And 
it is quite the grind to go through all of that on a daily basis. I don't know how people do it. I really don't. <laughs> is this something that you think causes sometimes a little bit more of a challenge for the Diabetes Association when it comes to um, having people don't make donations? or? Yeah, I think sometimes um, people associate with a type 2 sort of organization and they feel that people are, you know, they're letting themselves go. You know, they did this to themselves. But, you know, there's the family history and there's, you know, there's things in the food and all all these things. And, you know, quite frankly, you don't need to be obese to have diabetes. It can happen to anyone. I've seen it happen to anyone. And people just, I think we need to treat diabetes as a, as a whole and not just separate type 1 versus type 2. We're here to help everyone. We're here to prevent the disease. We're here to manage the disease. And that's why we're doing this. We're doing it to support the 25.8 million people living with diabetes. And that's what the ride's all about. We have, like, um, with the Red Riders, we have a little saying where we say, go Red Rider when you see someone with that jersey. It's about the courage that it takes, you know, to live with this disease. And today is your day. You're the hero of our event because, you know, you put on that smile day by day. But, you know, this is the day that you can look forward to. Lisa, how do people find out about the Kenny Bunks Tour de Cure or any of the Tour de Cures associated with the Diabetes Association? Um, you can see us on our website at diabetes.org backslash tour. Um, you can drop, you check the drop-down menu. We have um, five rides in New England, and we have about 87 rides throughout the nation. So there's something for everybody, and I really hope everybody will join us. Um, it's going to be a fun day. I'm really excited. Um, we're expecting about 900 to 1,000 people, so... Um, I hope I can see everyone there. Lisa, it has really been my pleasure to spend time with you talking today. We've been talking with Lisa Medina, who is the Kenny Bunks Tour de Cure event manager, and thank you for all the work you're doing for diabetes. Thank you. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 89, Home in Maine. Our guests have included Chris Lynch, Mike LePage, Lisa Medina, and Rick Toronto. For more information on our guests, visit docetor.lisa.org. We also recommend that you get involved in the upcoming Kenny Bunkport Festival 2013, which is taking place between June 4th and 9th in Kenny Bunkport, Maine. This is Maine Magazine's six-day festival, which celebrates the finest food, wine, and art in Maine. All of the major events will take place in downtown Kenny Bunkport this year, providing festival guests the opportunity to really explore this beautiful oceanfront town. For more information on the Kenny Bunkport Festival, visit KennyBunkportFestival.com. Please note that proceeds from the Art of Dining dinners at the Kenny Bunkport Festival go to Share Our Strength. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter and Pinterest and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, hoping that you have enjoyed our show, Home in Maine. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, 
Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street in Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org.